It is so good to be with so many in this sanctuary. Um, it just warms my heart to see so to, to see us beginning to grow back in the midst of this pandemic. Um, to be out there on the sidewalk as, as so many of you walked up and and drove up to be able to wave and to just greet you and and we haven't seen each other in person in so long. It is an amazing day. It's a really good day. And it just makes me want to say God is good. God is good all the time. And so I just want to celebrate today with you. And what better day on a, on a, on a beautiful morning that we reintroduce singing and communion it just, I, I, I just celebrate with us all today. And I applaud each and every one of you for perseverance through this. Being flexible, safe, and well through this pandemic. It has not been easy. And we've come this far. We've got a ways to go, but we're getting there. And I just celebrate that. You know, we... We are, um, we've been in this sermon series uh, now for this is our third week and, and um, we've been talking about God's covenant with, with God's people and, and with humanity and, and how that looks with, in the, with, with second chances in our minds. Because if we're honest and we're truthful with ourselves, we all know we need second chances. People like me, we need many, many second chances. Leanne can vouch. I'm a man of second chances because I need them. And God knows that about each and every one of us. And He offers us these covenants, these ways of revealing God's self to us in ways that nothing else can. We talked first about this idea of the covenant with Noah and how that covenant was much, was much bigger than just with Noah and his family. This was a covenant with all humanity that God would never again unleash the power of chaos to eradicate, destroy the created order. And since that rainbow, God has kept His promise. He told Noah, He tells us, that I am setting in the skies and the clouds a sign. And the bow is this sign for you to remember. And when God looks up and sees this bow, God remembers this covenant that He established, that He initiated, and He keeps. That's a powerful understanding, a powerful revelation of God's character, of just who God is. God is this God-making, a covenant-making God. He is a covenant-keeping God. And He remembers it. And He gives us ways to remember and to respond. The next covenant we talked about was, you know, last week we considered the covenant that God establishes and makes with Abraham and Sarah. That through them, that their descendants that nations would be born and kings and queens would be born. A multitude of people. And if we remember that story in Genesis where Abram 
goes face down before the Lord. And when, and when God tells him, you're, you're going to be, you and Sarah are going to be ancestors to nations. Abraham thinks to himself, I'm a hundred years old. Sarah's 91. And we're told he laughs. He laughs at the mere thought, the absurdity, the impossibility of such a promise. And it gives us, in his laughter, it gives us pause to consider how we see ourselves. And we talked about this, this notion of the real self when we're honest with ourselves. We see ourselves, we're just who we really are. Our strengths and our weaknesses. We see us with, with all of our beauty marks and with all of our warts and, 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 and wrinkles and, and scratches and bruises and scars. We see it all if we're truly honest. And then there's this other self, this ideal self, that tells us what we should be, what we could be. And that comes with so much baggage. And we hanging around our, our neck. And we try to carry all this baggage of what we should be. And we're just not. But what if we looked at that as a scribe? This is what we propose to be. What we're moving towards. This is our goal. And then in this covenant, God gives us another self. Not just the real self and the ideal self. But God gives us a faith self. How God sees us. And how God sees us, what we, what we are called to be. Miraculous and amazing people. Empowered people. To do impossibilities. To do the absurd. So hang on to that review of the past two covenants. As we begin to look at today's covenant when we begin to, to consider that covenant that God makes with the Israelites, those, those tribes, those 12 tribes are wandering in the wilderness. We're told in chapter 19 and 20 that the people had been wandering for, for three new moons. So at least three months, they've been wandering around out of, out, of, out of Egypt. They've made their way into the Sinai Peninsula and the, the Sinai Wilderness. And now we find them at the base of the, the Mount Sinai. And there they are told in chapter 19 by God through Moses to consecrate yourself, prepare yourself, for God is going to visit you on this mountain. Consecrate, prepare yourself. That's important. That's an important notion for us. We actually think about Lent. We are called to prepare ourselves, to get ready to repent, to prepare ourselves for, for God's salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. The people they are gathered at the base of the mountain and camp for, for months, many, many months. They will be there for long term. And Moses says, get ready. They begin to set themselves apart because they are certainly separated from the notion of this God, this, this God that has led them out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of the hands of the Pharaohs, and into freedom, being led through the wilderness. This God is other 
than Pharaoh, other than all the other gods on the earth. Because this God is holy and sacred and pure, and we, these Israelites, and we, as people of Ashland Place, we are created beings, humanity. We are, we, we, we are, we live in a profane world, not a holy world. We, we are broken by sin. We are impure in the sight of God's purity. And there's this gulf between us. It must be. It has to be. But we can bridge that gulf because God allows it. God allows us to prepare ourselves for His coming, His visitation. And when He comes, that mountain is shrouded with a thick cloud and there's thunder and lightning and it is terrifying. It is a terrible sight. And the people are deeply afraid. Because we begin to understand what holy means in the eyes of the unholy of the profane, that if we approach the holy inappropriately, unprepared, it can mean death. That's a powerful notion. That, that's revealed in, this, in these two chapters, chapter 19 and 20 of Exodus. And God speaks to Moses, who has entered that thick cloud, that dense cloud, to be able to approach God, to be able to receive the Word of God, and to bring back the Word to the people. And he brings back what we call the Ten Commandments, what the, what the Israelites would call the Ten Words, what scholars call the Decalogue. And I invite us now to, to hear, hear these Ten Words as if we were there at the mountain, at the base of that mountain. We too have been wandering for three months in this, in this desert wilderness. We are hot. We are uncomfortable. We're afraid. We're anxious. We're nervous. We are a broken people. We don't know what's going to happen next. Where will we be? Who will find us? Who will keep us? That's the mindset of these wandering Israelites when God decides that now's the time to reveal my covenant with my people. So hear now the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, as God's called people in our wilderness. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 20 of Exodus, Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not, you shall not make wrongful use of the, Lord, your, the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses His name. 
remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien res resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave, or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So God has appeared to Moses and has handed this word, these ten words to Moses, to be handed down to the people. And for me, when I read this, when I read this very familiar passage, it's verse 2 is where everything hinges. Verse 2 and moving into verse 3. When it talks about God is the one who acts. Before there is a covenant with, Is with the Israelites, God acts to free them. I invite us just to hear that phrase one more time. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the, the pinnacle of the, of the entire covenant. When we put this in order, when we understand that this is the Lord, this is the God among all the other little gods in the world that we have created, that all the other peoples and all the other religions and traditions have created, there's one true God. And that's the one God, the Lord, who brings us out of the house of slavery. This is the God who acts first. This is the God who hears His people cry, who hears the misery of the hurting, the hungry, the enslaved. And He answers. He acts first. And then He establishes a covenant that allows God's people to respond when we look at this, these ten words, and I, I keep saying ten words because when I did some research on this, I always kind of wondered, how did you get all of this on these tablets for Moses to cart down this mountain just to trash them? But what people think, what the scholars think, is that what we have in front of us today is commentary on the ten words. The ten words were probably two or three syllable statements. It sounded more like no steal, no murder. Very short, terse answers 
declarations and commandments. So when you take all the commentary out, what comes first? Is that God, our Lord God, is the one who delivers God's people. And from there, we begin to understand our relationship to God. That God has to be first. This jealous God. A God who is jealous for us. Has to be first. There are no other little gods that will come in between us and the one true God, the Lord who delivers these first four statements, these first four words, these commandments, set the relationship between us and God. That we understand who God is and that there's no other God between us and the one true God. That there are no idols, that this God, our God, the one true God, the Lord who delivers, is an invisible God and doesn't need idols that we create. And will not tolerate worship of any other God, whatever that God may be. This is a powerful statement where the, the ancient writers understood, where God understands that there are many gods competing for our attention, for our affection. But the one true God, the Lord, is the only one the only one who acts first to deliver God's people. And then establishes the covenant that allows God's people to respond, to relate to the Lord. That's a powerful understanding. It's different than any other covenant that we would find in the ancient world. It sets our God apart. It sets our God's people apart from every other people and every other religion and every other tradition. And when we see, when we follow through on those four first commandments, it sets the stage and allows us to accomplish, to live in the next six. See, when we break this thing down, the first four are about our relationship to God, which allows us to have a, a meaningful, deep relationship with one another. It's a simple idea. It's just not easy. God gave this, this way to respond to this relationship with Him, and it's just not easy. So, it sounds so simple. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your mother. What? This sounds so simple, and it is a simple idea. It's just not easy to do. In fact, left to our own devices, it's an absurd idea. It's impossible. But with God, with us relating to God first, what looks impossible and absurd becomes reality and truth. So if we think about how this is so different, this challenges the, the context, the culture that, these, that the Israelites were making their way into and through. 
It challenges our culture today that we are to be different from the rest of the world because we are God's people and God is different. And because God is different, we are different. And it allows us to respond to a different God and to begin to embrace and to live out that faith identity where God believes in us more than we believe in ourselves, where God doesn't look at the baggage and define us by the baggage that we carry, the scars that we have, the wrongdoings, the, the weaknesses of our real self, the shortcomings of our ideal self, but the possibilities, the absurd possibilities of our faith self. And that, that, my friends, on this beautiful day, as we are all gathered together, is the promise of God. That as we relate to God first and foremost, we will find this uneasy, impossible life made possible. And as it becomes possible, and we begin to live and continue to live that impossible life, that absurd life as God's people, those amazing, miraculous people, then the world will see us. And they'll see us as something different. Something of faith. Something better. Something good and holy set aside set apart and sacred. And on a beautiful day like this, what a great reminder. What a great reminder of our God and His call on us to be different, to live different, to act, sound, look different from the rest of the world. And we do when we follow God first. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite us to affirm our faith together. That we find in the Apostles' Creed, it is also printed in your order of service. Let us affirm our faith in this covenant-making and keeping God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.